Hello, you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. This is the Rosenfeld, uh, Lou, and I'm here to get today with my guest, Zaria Cameron. Hi, Zaria. Hi, how are you? I am good. It is almost 5 p.m. on a Friday, and yet I'm feeling great. And uh, the weather's beautiful here in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm ready for the weekend, but uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. For those of you listening in, Zaria is co-director of community and research and founder of the AEI Design Program. AEI is Advocate, Educate, Innovate Black Design. She is also a speaker at October's Design Ops Summit. Yes, the seventh Design Ops Summit that Rosenfeld Media has produced. I can't believe it. Uh, Zaria is giving a talk entitled Streamlining an Inclusive Design Practice. And we're going to dive into that a bit. Um, Really looking forward to um, really thinking through the intersection of design operations and inclusive design. Uh, Interested in seeing what ideas you have there, Zaria. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to this conversation and really delving into my talk today with you all. Excellent. Well, before we jump in, I'll just add a few things that uh, listeners may be interested in knowing uh, that you are also, besides uh, working on the AI design program, which we'll talk about in a moment, and your presentation at the Design Up Summit, you are an equity-centered UX strategist at Ally, and I'm happy about that. I'm a happy customer of Ally. And uh, you're very involved in the Oroco Cooperative, which I think you're going to talk about a little bit toward the end of the podcast. But let's talk about inclusive design. And um, now are you, for your talk at the summit, are you looking to basically um, talk more about principles and how to um, essentially build them or make them very central to the kind of processes that people in design operations are responsible for? Or does it go a little more deeper into the actual operationalization of inclusive design or something else altogether? I would say definitely the third one. It's it's a little bit of a little bit of both, um, I would say, but definitely more of the second one when it comes to operationalizing, right? So I mean, the foundation of the talk is like us having these principles and even ideologies of, you know, design or even inclusive design, because there are companies that do have these frameworks, so to speak, um, or ideas of inclusive design, but it's almost like this trophy that they just have sitting up and um, they don't really use it that often. They don't really touch it. It's just something that looks nice, Mm. um, but it's not really implemented. And so, um, beyond the principles, beyond sort of these inclusive design statements, um, it goes into how can we actually implement this and streamline this within the work that we do. Um, and that can be operationally from, you know, the actual processes of the way that we design to the actual employee experience for our, you know, UX designers, our UX team members. Um, so looking at it from sort of all those different angles. So it, it sounds like um, there's a lot of window dressing right now. And maybe what you're talking about is helping organizations take it 
to the next step at least, and maybe even beyond that to operationalize some of those principles. Can you give us an example of a principle that you've heard that you really wish would actually get put into place operationally? Um, the big one that you do hear a lot, especially like, you know, I think this was pretty much coined um, by Microsoft, I believe, when it comes to the concept of inclusive design is like, solve for one, extend to many. And you definitely hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but what does that exactly mean? Um, and a lot of times it only, you know, sometimes only means you know, centering on, you know, the disability community, which is great. And, you know, that's a first step, right? Centering on, but there are other, you know, socioeconomic, there's other cl classes and, and groups of people that, you know, are on the margins that deserve to be represented, deserve to be, you know, um, really brought within the conversation um, to really co-create and and build on this overall ideology of moving forward to an inclusive practice. So um, talk a little bit more about what that means in terms of helping design ops leaders or just really any design leaders start taking a step toward more of an operationalized approach. I don't know if Microsoft is a good example, if you've had any observation of them or are there other organizations maybe that you've seen take this uh, in a good direction? Well, I think sometimes, you know, when it comes to inclusive design, people just automatically think of accessibility, but it's definitely deeper and more than that. And it can really extend to this concept or this framework of equity, equity design. Um, and so when we look at that, it's really you know, equity design, inclusive design really means, you know, actually working with building um, with the people who are, are most marginalized and who are, you know, underserved. And again, like I said, who are kind of living on the margins as the ones or these edge cases, as in corporate would say, that um, often are not really being properly represented. And so I love where you're going. I'm just wondering if you're seeing that like any organizations or people like that have an interesting story to tell at this point about their efforts in this area. Yeah, yeah I, I personally, I think that there's a lot of grassroots organizations that I think that I've seen that are actually doing, you know, amazing work, um, and doing such a phenomenal job with co-creating that I don't think that, you know, on the corporate level, we've really seen executed in the best way. Um, and that can mean like actually partnering with organizations that already have sort of that, you know, diverse pool of participants that mm -hmm. they're able to research and co-create with. Um, sometimes, you know, the idea of co-creation to corporate is just, having one session with the group and you know that group of diverse participants and then sort of moving on and not really coming back to get feedback or insight from them um and so sort of you know certain companies you know foundationally their idea of what inclusive design um is actually just you know the tip of the iceberg when they could really be going deeper than what they're actually doing so um, 
I hear you saying one of the places maybe that they fall short is follow-through. Maybe another is um, uh, not really adopting co-creation or, you know, uh, some sort of participatory design approach. Like, I think a lot about Victor Duewa, who's been really involved in a couple of our conferences, especially advancing research. And he's really, you know, pushing the idea of uh, radical participatory design. Yes. And, um, you know, maybe that's sort of like the, the, the cutting edge here. But um, w- one thing I learned just like this week uh, on LinkedIn, I'd asked uh, for people to give me a sense of the, the nuances between the terms. That, and I was really talking about plain language. How, how does inclusive language differ if, you know, what, what is the difference between inclusive language and plain language and accessible language? And what I, the feedback I got was that accessibility in this context, at least is passive and inclusive is active. So with inclusive language, you have to maybe approach the people you are hoping to serve rather than kind of hoping that you learn passively or or you provide benefits passively to people. What already exists and what's already there. So maybe that's like table stakes, like the the sort of realization that you've got to move from a passive, uh, accessible approach with your design work to something that's a bit more inclusive and active. Yeah. And understanding that every, you know, what you can't have these assumptions of what you think that, you know, these different groups need, you know, versus um, actually moving towards sort of the space of, of asking them what they need and what their challenges are. Understanding one group or one person doesn't represent the larger oversight of group and that everyone has a story. Like, just because, you know, I'm a black woman doesn't mean that I represent every single black woman's experience, even if it may be similar, there are always those differences. Um, And understanding the importance of intersectionality. I think a lot of times, you know, um, I've seen this a lot where, for example, they may be you know, a case where they are interviewing or talking to people who are within the disabled community, but there's no intersectionality. So it's like they're only talking, for example, um, and I've had conversations with one of my friends before who is a part of the disabled community is that like, there's no real representation. There may be like, okay, we've interviewed, you know, a you know, white male who is blind and that's like our representation and that's that's who we're going to represent for the entire like disabled community experience versus understanding the intersectionality of okay maybe we should get you know someone who is hispanic woman blind because her experience may be completely and is completely different because now you're adding gender race mm-hmm. and her dis- their disability within that factor which changes the entire scope of you know the problem you're trying to solve or the challenges that may even come about uh do you feel like um uh there is so like you know one thing i've heard and i'm not 
necessarily agreeing is that to find people at those intersections can be challenging. Uh, You know, like I have mixed feelings about that because I think a lot of times people just say that without really making the effort. That said, um, can, do you also find that there are benefits to broadening the pool of people you're working with so that collectively they are more intersectional, but maybe not the indi- at an individual level? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I, I personally don't necessarily think it's hard to find, you know, there, I, I know there are people who want to be able to share their experience, especially mm-hmm. if it means that you know, it means and hopes that their experience with this product or system becomes better, you know. Um, So I think that there are definitely ways. I mean, there's, like I said, there's definitely partnerships that can happen with organizations who are already like having the existence of pool of people that you can gather from. Um, Again, grassroots organizations, agencies that are more on the ground with the communities that that I've seen, you know, where companies have like maybe said, okay, we may not have the knowledge, but we're going to partner with this agency, we're going to partner with this organization to, you know, essentially get this intel, this insight from the group of people that we may not be able to initially have access to. I, I'm really glad you're saying that because what you're saying is in effect, you have to have some relationships in place to support yeah. this work. Those external partnerships. And relationships don't happen overnight. You have to cultivate right. them. You have to build them. You have to think in advance and work on them over time. And uh, so maybe that is a, a big sort of place to start for design leaders of, of any type who are who care about this and want to go beyond just the talking points, the, the window dressing of principles and put them into action. I most certainly agree. I, I really do believe in communal work um, and that community communal relationship type of work. Um, and I definitely I think sometimes it can often be treated as transactional. Um, which depending on what type of industry you work in, whether it's finance or healthcare, especially those spaces that really systemically, you know, they shouldn't be transactional because you're talking about people's livelihoods. So it's important to build those relationships, to cultivate those relationships and to create those bonds to really achieve, you know, this centralized like togetherness um, and product now, is the AEI uh, Design Initiative uh, one of those organizations? I know. I think you're the found. You're well, you're one of the founders of it, or the founder, if I'm if I actually uh, remember your bio from a few minutes ago. But uh, is that uh, a group that people should know about in terms of building those relationships? I mean, I would say, and I think this goes to like the operational side of things when it comes to like hiring, right? Like mm-hmm. having the right people in the room. Um, which is something that I would, uh, I will be talking about or discussing in my talk. But mm-hmm. um, my organization uh, is is really centered on like educating and advocating for young Black design students. And this was in the the lieu of when I was a student and seeing that there wasn't that much representation within the industry. There was also gaps within the preparation of you know 
helping them receive job opportunities and just the skill sets prepare them to be, you know, the designer that this industry is quote unquote looking for. Um, and so I created this organization to build community, um, but also to kind of provide these skill sets for these students um, that often felt really siloed or isolated um, within, you know, the design industry, the design space, and really just trying to get a leg up and also have a voice. And so I would say, like, even though my organization is is maybe not necessarily one of those organizations, mm -hmm. but in, in the aspect, it's a small portion, um, simply because when it comes to the hiring factor of having not only researching diverse participants, but also having diverse people and representation within the room to make decisions, to add value and various different opinions. Um, I think that's where those factors come in and, and they really truly add value to why or, or how we can, again, not only from a customer standpoint, from, from internal employee standpoint. So, um, Digging into that a little bit more, I, I know that um, maybe the roots or the, the DNA of uh, AEI uh, come from North Carolina A&T uh, State U, which is the largest historically uh, black college or university in the U.S. Are you yes. working <laughs> with other HBCUs uh, and bringing them into uh, uh, bringing their people into uh, the design world? Yeah, I so. I did take a small pause, but I want to bring AI design back. I took a pause simply because it's mental health is very important. And I always speak to that to my students that I mentor and, you know, um, but yes, at the time I was working with various different um, HBCU students who were designers. And it just, when I started the organization, it amazed me how many, you know, HBCUs actually did have a design program and a lot of people just don't know and a lot of people when they say oh well there's not like black design you know young black design talent or like there's no black designers at HBCUs it's 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 um it's very wild to me that you know people if you just do the research you'll you'll find the answers you're looking for and you'll see that there's so many so many talented black designers young black designers um especially hbcus and you know there's just such a story to tell there um from their experience i know my experience you know being able to have supportive black design professors and seeing that representation um as a college student and really wanting to like advocate for that now going into the corporate space was truly important to me. Well, that's great. And it's yet another example of needing to take a little time to do yeah. this, to invest some time. Speaking of time, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. Hey, it's Lou. And I am here to tell you that we have another conference coming up. And this one is the biggest one that we do all year. It's the Design Ops Summit. It's taking place virtually October 2nd through 6th, 2023. 
you're going to want to be part of it. Even if you're not a design ops practitioner, you might be without realizing it. Certainly if you're a design manager, design program manager, design leader, or someone who works with things like research repositories, design systems, I think you probably are doing something related to design operations. And uh, we have just launched the program. You're going to want to check it out. It is En Fuego. Hope to see you October 2nd through 6th at the Design Ops Summit. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm Lou Rosenfeld. I'm talking with Zaria Cameron. And uh, we were going to talk a little bit more about some of the organizations that you can partner with. Again, don't wait to the last minute. This takes some time. You need to make an investment. But uh, I know, Zaria, you're, you, you, there's a few organizations that you can probably name just off the top of your head uh, that would be really interesting for people to look at and, and to start creating those relationships and ultimately partnerships. What do you got for us? Yeah, so I would definitely say um, the Creative Reaction Lab by Antoinette Carroll. She's um, someone that I truly admire and actually base a lot of my equity design framework on. Um, and so she definitely has a lot of like workshops and, and grassroots type of, you know, um, opportunities for you to really get involved and invested within their work and for you to also partner with them um, to really just start the groundwork of, you know, leaning towards, you know, a more equitable product. Um, and then same thing with Pause and Effect uh, by Sabrina. I cannot remember her name, but Pause and Effect by Sabrina. It's a, um, a company in Canada, but they definitely, um, they focus on equitable and regenerative, sustainable futures and, and really, you know, kind of the same concept of working with organizations, working with um, companies to really just ensure that you're creating an equitable practice, um, not only for people, but for the earth as well. And there's another organization maybe that you have something yes. to do with, uh, it's called Oroco. <laughs> yes, Oroco Cooperative is an organization that I'm a part of, and so um, something that I'm truly proud of. We are a multidisciplinary um, organization that's really dedicated to just cultivating a future of, of Black liberation, care, and well-being. Um, and so, you know, we support a wide range of projects and, and services and, and even products that truly help to nurture and elevate the communities within the margin um, and to really just cultivate that space of equity, liberation, and, and ecocentricity. Um, so very similar in a way, um, but we we definitely um, are really built on the, the space of community and community healing. And um, for any Black designers, Black creatives that want to join that community, we encourage you, but also organizations that really want to partner with us as well. Um, we're open to that too. Fantastic. Well, uh, you've really covered a lot of ground and I know it's just part of some of the ideas that you're going to be talking about at the Design Ops Summit in early October, everyone. 
Uh, Zaria's talk is entitled, uh, at the moment, because these things can change, Streamlining <laughs> an Inclusive Design Practice. And, I mean, I really love how you've already given us some concrete ideas and uh, really next steps for getting beyond the, the window dressing approach to just having a, uh, a nice uh, set of uh, inclusive design principles that sit on the shelf and um, unfortunately for many organizations are just sitting there for show and gathering dust. So thank you for that. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, you know I'm going to be asking this question, what gift did you bring for our listeners? Well, the gift that I want to be able to give to our listeners is um, encouraging everyone to um, register. Registration should be open soon, but definitely check out the State of the Black Design Conference that will be coming soon in March of next year. And um, it's titled We the People. And this is really a conference for, you know, conversation events um, related to Black design and, you know, sort of our overarching theme for this year is called We the People. And so we believe it's this declarative statement that really encompasses those who dream of opportunities and those who design the partnerships needed to attain them. And so um, this conference will be held on an HBCU uh, this year, Tennessee State University. And so, um, you know, we're partnering with a lot of different people for this conference, um, but we encourage everyone to uh, look and, and get your notifications up so you can see when registration drops um, so you can participate in this virtual and in-person conference. Hybrid. Awesome. Yes. Uh, I should have said hybrid, but. <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, you know, hybrid is virtual and in-person. So uh, however you put it. <laughs> It sounds like it's going to be a great opportunity taking place in March at, uh, it's, you said at Tennessee State? Yes, Tennessee State. What city is that in, you know? Uh, what city? Uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, in Nashville. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is um, our time, but you've given us a lot to think about and look forward to, including uh, not just the Black Design Conference, but your own presentation at the Design Up Summit in early October. Zaria, thank you so much for joining us on the Rosenfeld Review. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. I enjoyed speaking with you. Awesome. We'll see you soon. Hey, it's Lou. Thank you for listening to the latest Rosenfeld Review podcast. I really appreciate it. I would love to hear from you. And if you want to pop me an email, lou at rosenfeldmedia.com. Tell me what you thought. Better yet, leave me the hell alone and post a review on your favorite podcast platform. Please feed the algorithm. It really does make a difference. We want to get the word out. If you like the word, give us a hand. And uh, while I'm asking you for favors, don't forget, buy books. Support your favorite local independent publisher. We happen to be one, rosenfeldmedia.com. All those great UX books are there. So thanks again.